Father, first, I would like to give you thanks for those people who have served in the military. This last week, we recognized Veterans Day across the country. And those people who have paid the ultimate price laying their lives down. And those who have served in a helpful position to enable Marines and the Army to take ground. Father, we are free because of their efforts. And we wish not to forget them quickly. We ask that you would help us to be reminded, to pray for the families, those who have been lost and those who have been severely injured, those with PTSD, those who are still suffering, those who have gotten into drug abuse, those who are homeless because of the ravages of war. Father, we are so fortunate, we are so lucky for people in this country like that. And so we ask, Lord, that you would bless the families that remain and those who have come back. And Father, for those families who have lost loved ones over in France because of the senseless killing that has taken place, those who do not regard life at all, the life that you have provided, they are clearly of the spirit of Antichrist, and I pray that you would give the authorities wisdom to track them down and give them strength, Lord, and endurance to keep up the fight that will never go away. And we ask, Lord, that you would come quickly. We know that it will get worse before you return. But from our perspective, we pray for your soon return. And in the meantime, Lord, we ask that you'd bless your word, bless your fellowship, bless whatever we set our hands to do for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your people, and those who don't know you. Help us, Lord, in this endeavor. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I begin, could the veterans stand up, please? Thank you guys for your service. Okay, who is a Marine? Oh, hoorah. Okay, who, who was Air Force? Two in the Air Force? Who, three in the Air Force. I didn't know you were in the Air Force. All right, okay. Let's see, Navy. Who's in the Navy? All right. Anchors away. I remember that song. I used to play it on the piano. And the Army. One, two. Oh. The Marines and the Army, you are the guys that are on the front. You take the fire in and... Wait, Coast Guard? Anyone? No? No Coast Guard. Okay, but you, you are the ones that take the bullets. Not that the other guys aren't in harm's way. Ships go down and planes go down and it's rough. But, you know, thank you for what you've done. And if you think, well, I didn't see combat, that doesn't make any difference whatsoever. You were in there and you do whatever they ask you to do anyhow. You become a part of one unit that protects this country. And again, we are free. Those freedoms are slowly eroding away and you wonder if it has been all worth it. But we know in the end, if we save lives, it is worth it. Now, the book of Exodus. We are currently in chapter 5, and I'd like you to turn there. And we left off last week with Moses and Aaron. They went to Pharaoh and they said, let the people go according to the Lord's own word. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Because after all, he was considered a God amongst his people and he was not going to give way to any foreign God, especially a God of the Israelites 
who were shepherds, and they, because of that, were detestable in the eyes of the Egyptians. Now, because they went and said, let the people go, Pharaoh took away the straw that they needed to make bricks, and they had a certain quota. And remember, I gave you the number. It was over 480 billion bricks the whole time that they were in Israel there that they would have produced. And they had to keep up the same quota, but they had to go find their own straw. And the straw that they found was not really straw, but it was stubble, and they had to put the bricks together It was the normal case that the Egyptians would provide the straw and then the Israelites would make the mud bricks. But then he told the Egyptians, you're not going to go get the straw nor provide the straw, but you're simply going to set back. And he required the Israelites to go get that stubble. And when that happened, the people who were in charge, the foremen who were in charge of the Israelites, who were Israelites themselves, who were Jews, they ended up getting beat because they did not keep up with the quotas. And they knew they were in trouble at that point, that they would not be able to keep up. So the people complained to Pharaoh. They didn't complain to Moses. They didn't complain to God. And then the people complained to Moses. And they didn't go to God. And going to Pharaoh didn't work. And then Moses complained to the Lord, as we will see. Now, we're going to pick it up in verse 10. And it says there, then the slave drivers and the foreman went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them saying, complete the work required for you each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foreman appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Talk about an onerous burden to have to do this. And if they weren't, they were beaten. Now, I don't know about you and your employer, but I bet you don't have that kind of problem where your employer puts you to the side and beats you if you don't meet your quota every day. But this was the case with the Israelites, and they knew this was not going to end well. They would end up dying because of the beating that they were under. Verse 15, then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told to make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. And so they were complaining to Pharaoh like, your own people, they're not giving us the straw and we're supposed to make these. And they're just kind of up in arms, kind of nowhere to turn situation, right? Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. Would your heart not drop at that point? This man, Pharaoh, has the power to kill, to take life. And you're pleading with him saying, please, will you just make our burden easier? And he would not because of what Moses had done. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. So he kind of ended it, probably stormed out of there. And the foreman probably looked at each other and said, what are we going to do? This is not good. I know what we'll do. We'll go to complain to Moses. It's his fault after all. So the people went to Pharaoh to find relief. They didn't find it. They did not plead with God or Moses. Pharaoh only increased their hardship when they sought a remedy from 
what we know as Satan. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Pharaoh is a type of the world. Often in the church, we will do that. We will go to the world to look for remedies. And we think that that remedy will bring us some solace, some comfort, some direction. Now, I'm going to say a few things here, and I know that it might offend. Not that I haven't offended in the past, not that I won't offend in the future. If you're here long enough, I am going to bring an offense your way. It's just impossible not to do so. And you might say, why do you have to be so offensive? It's not me. It's the word. The word comes along and convicts us of sin. Do we like to be told we're doing wrong? Do you like a police officer to pull you over and say, do you know why I pulled you over? And you say, no, officer. And of course, you lie. That commits a sin right there, right? And you feel guilty about that. You know why you were pulled over. You were speeding or you ran through a red light. And he's going to tell you exactly what you did. And you might try to argue with him and just saying, I know, officer. And then thank him for the ticket for keeping the peace afterwards. You're going to thank him for the ticket, too, because he's doing his job? Probably not. You're going to go away with a sour attitude. He told me what I was supposed to be doing, and I shouldn't have been doing that. And you know, you know that we are all lawbreakers, right? Just a little vignette, a little story. I don't like lawbreakers, but I'm a lawbreaker. I have made so many mistakes in driving, I'm surprised people haven't been killed, right? Probably same thing with you. You've made so many mistakes. How is it that somebody didn't die around you? Here, Patty and I, were pulling off the freeway. We're going to go to a restaurant on Friday. And here's this man. There's only two lanes he decides he wants to get in between all of us and get way to the front. What do you think I thought? <laughs> Death to the man. You know, I, I just... And then he rolls down his window and he's smoking his cigarette. And I go, Patty, watch. He's going to drop it on the ground. <laughs> and he did. He dropped it on the ground. And not only that, but he was talking on his cell phone. And I could have made a citizen's arrest. You are on your cell phone. You violated the lane structure and you've littered all the way. And I just, oh, yeah, I wanted to get out of the car. And, you know, but I just go, no, I'm not going to do it. But see, I look at other people's sin and I want to tell them this is your sin, but I don't look at mine. And we don't like to be told what our own sin is, right? And that's what the Bible does. And so... When I talk to you guys, it's my job to be a preacher and a teacher and to tell you what is sin and to change it. And when you don't like what you hear, you probably go home and say, well, but, but there's this and there's this. Like, for instance, we go to the world to find our remedies, right? Now, there's all kinds of things we go to the world to get our remedies satiated or to bring them in to have some type of satiation, to, to make sure that we are comforted. Uh, you know, we go to uh, drug and alcohol rehab centers, and that is necessary, medically speaking. But then we go for the psychological end of it. We meet together in groups, and we trade one addiction for another. It goes to coffee and cigarettes is what it does. It transfers to that. And I, I get that. I, I understand that it's difficult to do that. But instead of turning to God as a people, not just as Christians, but as a people, we go to the world to try to find the answers. 
and the answers are not there. I remember when I was in seminary, they were doing a study on psychology, and this actually came up again recently. That psychology, everything that they have discovered over the last 50 to 100 years, none of it's correct. And what are we going to do? And they made all these drugs in order to correct these conditions that are there. There's new conditions. You might have headaches because of the Internet, because you look at the computer, and that's a new type of condition. They come up with all these new conditions all the time, and they give them names, and they give them phobias. And all you have to do is turn to God and say, God, it's a sin. Will you please help me? Instead of going to the world to find a solution to our problems, just go to the Lord to find a solution to the problems. And I get, I get it when people get together and they have to have some type of commonality, something that binds them together in the struggles they go through. I get that. But the Lord and what he has for us, he is sufficient. He is able to satisfy us all of our needs, all of our wants, and all of our desires. And we don't have to go to the world for anything whatsoever. Even when it comes to the care and nurturing of people, even physically, if the government had not taken it over, it would have been the job of the church, and we should be doing it as the church. But there's not enough funds in the church to do that because the overtaxation, everything that takes place... It has been by design that that's happening. And so the people go to the world for that. And it's a lot easier to go to the world. The world says, come on, we'll take you in. It's all right. And then they water down your Christianity and you have to be accepting. And that's just the way to do it, right? Well, the Israelites, they went to Pharaoh. They went to, quote unquote, the dark overlord over this world. They went to the world and its system to try to get relief. And then when they didn't get relief, they went back to their own family members. You're to blame for this. And that's sometimes what happens inside the church. People in the church go to the world for their remedy. And then when they come back to the church, they go, you know, you guys are so messed up. Religion, I'm, I'm so against religion and the church and all of that. When God said, I will build my church and he says, this is what the church is supposed to look like. There are elders and there are deacons and there, there are people that operate inside the church. And that is the model that is set up. And then Christians say, I don't like the church. That's disobedience at its height. And the Lord says, I don't care really what you like or what you don't like. This is the way I'm going to do it. Just as he spoke to Moses. I don't care what you want to do or don't want to do. This is the way I'm going to use you. And you're going to be used. And so the Lord sets that up. And we, we need to be like Moses. And again, I've told you this. He was the most humble man on the face of the earth at that time because of all that he had gone through. And so the people should not have turned to Pharaoh. They should not have gone to Moses and complained. But they should have gone directly to God. How would God have handled it differently if they would have done that? So the world will never satisfy. You know, we work our whole lives so that we can retire. In other words, if we just get enough wealth, we'll be satisfied. Or if you just get enough power, a place, a position, that you'll be happy. And if you can be a CEO over a, a company, you know, then, hey, it's all going to be good because then you're the one in control. And it's just not that way. And then we look at each other, and, and especially our world system, it's designed in such a way to have envy and strife. Those people who aren't working, look at those who do, 
and wish them harm. Those who are employees look at the CEOs and say, you, you're making all this money. And then the CEO goes, why am I here? I'm getting out of here. And the government comes, you, you are our slave is what they say to the CEOs. It's just a problem. The world will never satisfy and you'll never get out from under that burden. It will always be there. But in this particular case, the Jews got out from under the burden of Pharaoh, as we'll see in the coming chapters. We're to be focused not on our immediate circumstances, but we're always to look to God. And that's what the Jews failed to do here. And God knows our condition, and he intercedes for us. You know, God is praying for you that things go well for you. Uh, And you might say, well, where is God in the midst of the trouble? Remember that uh, pastor last week? He left home. His wife is three months pregnant. A man came in, shot his wife. She died. It's just tragedy. I don't know if I could handle something like that. And you'd say, where's God in the midst of that? All you can do is look to the future and say, God has something. I don't know what it is. I don't have enough faith right now to sustain me, someone might say. But I do know that God has made a promise. And we're going to focus on that today. In verse 19, it says, The Israelite foremen realized that they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh... They found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And that's, in fact, what would have ended up happening had God not interceded here. So Pharaoh, he met with the slaves and he got them to turn against Moses and Aaron and probably the elders. Now, keep this in mind. When Moses was reluctant, he told Aaron, okay, Aaron, go out and meet Moses at the Mount of God. Come back and talk to the elders. And so he showed Aaron, Moses showed Aaron, the miracles that he could do. The hand with leprosy, stuck it in his cloak, pulled it out, said, look at that. And stuck it back in, and then it was completely made whole. And he probably said, you know, God called me to do this. Look at this, Aaron. Watch this. My staff. I lay this thing down. and You know, it comes right up to a snake. I'm sure Aaron sat there and went, oh, well, that is interesting. I, he probably just freaked. You, know, Whoa! you ever seen people that don't like snakes when they encounter snakes? Just like, oh, snake! And they jump and they try to get out of there. It's just a real problem. And so he did all this and Aaron said, well, let's go do it. God has called you. This is wonderful. They go back and tell the elders. He, he did these things for the elders too. But the rest of the populace had not seen these miracles. It was just a guy showing up. Oh yeah, you say you can do these miracles. I've seen no miracles here and it's my back that's getting beaten. You may the Lord curse you. And it, so they're really upset. And Moses and Aaron are going, what are we supposed to do? You know, this is not going well. It was not going well for the foreman. Now it's not going well for Moses and Aaron. I'm sure Moses is saying, I think it's time to get out of ministry, Aaron. I I think we should probably move on. You know, what what do you think? We can go back to Midian over there. And Aaron's probably going, I don't think that's such a good idea. God showed up to kill you because you, uh, you know, you were being disobedient. So let's just hang out here for a little bit and see what else he might want to do. But Pharaoh got in the midst of that and he sought to divide. 
Now, a house divided cannot stand according to Jesus' own words. And he got the people against the leadership is what he did. I'm sure Pharaoh went back and started <laughs> rubbing his hands together. This is working perfectly. And the, his friends that were around him, his advisors who were going, well done, Pharaoh, King Pharaoh. And they're all just patting themselves on the back. Oh, this is so good. We're going we're gonna to get rid of those guys. Well, we know the end of the story, but let's continue with it. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. So division is caused in this case by Satan or Pharaoh, and it can be caused by the world and by our own fleshly desires. When there is unity, Psalm 133, one says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Now, are we going to have disagreements? Scripture says we're going to have disagreements. Do we have a blue trash can for the candy or do we have a tan trash can for the, can for the candy out there? Do we have a gray trash can or what about a white trash can? Because it's sanitary. We can have that out there. Well, what color should we paint the church? Should it be tan? Should it be gray? Oh, should we have carpet? Not carpet. And these are the types of things we argue about in the church. I kid you not. When we started the church, no, you can't put the chairs together, Pastor Bill. That's my job. Well, you were late. I know, but this is not your job. What are you talking about? We argue. Is it decaf? Is it Folgers? Is it Starbucks? Which one do we put over there? I mean, we argue about the most benign, ridiculous things. And then you might say, no, there's some substance to what I have this disunity. Oh, really? Do you think the Lord could straighten it out? in the word not only it but you do you think the lord could straighten you out like for instance if you're doing something wrong and again like a police officer he comes along and says you're doing this wrong if you looked into the scripture and you were submitted to the scripture and the scripture said you're doing this wrong what are you supposed to do close the bible and walk away and just forget about it right I'm going to do my own thing. No, that's not what you're supposed to do you open the bible you go oh this kills me i have sinned Forgive me, Lord. That's the way we're supposed to act. Now, that's where the conflict comes up inside the church. People will look at each other and they'll go, I have this position and we need to be more loving. And I have this position and we mean, need to be more full of justice and righteousness. And we butt heads when the scripture can unify us. It's just we decide not to do it. If you're going to correct somebody from this side, you're to do it with gentleness and respect. If you're on this side, you're supposed to be humble and accept the state that you are in. If you do that, you come together in unity and you go, may the Lord be praised. He has set it straight for us. But we don't want to do that. We want to be divisive. Why do we want to do that? Because we want to be right. We want to be correct. We don't want to be told that we're doing something wrong. You know, in John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus was praying for his disciples. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. And so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as I or even as you have loved me. In Romans chapter 15 verse 5. Actually, why don't you turn over to a couple of these scriptures here. I have about four of them. I'd like you to see that unity is paramount when it comes to the church and the church body. 
that we have to have an arbiter, and that arbiter is Jesus Christ and his word, and when we disagree, we can go to that. And I know that our feelings are going to be hurt sometimes, but there is a standard in which we can point to. It can be our mediator. Romans chapter 15, verse 5. It says, May the Lord who gives endurance and encouragement give you the spirit of unity. And this would be a blessing. A spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, two times in this chapter he talks about unity. And when there's unity, there's maturity in the body. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, we're to walk together as one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, just a few verses down. It says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So you can see already that this idea of unity is paramount in the eyes of God. He says, be unified. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Turn over there. Another scripture talking about unity. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you over all these virtues. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So this idea that we are of one mind, we are of one purpose, we're going in the same direction. We all believe the same thing, what Scripture has to talk about. That's why we have different denominations. The different denominations are out there because people view Scripture differently. But they are unified in what they believe. We have our statement of faith here. Some people don't believe in that statement of faith for years. You know, I've had people come to the church that were post-tribbers and mistribbers when it came... Mistribbers. That's exactly what it is. It's a mistrib. It, it, the mid-tribbers, you know, it's talking about eschatology and Jesus Christ coming back, an amillennialist that didn't believe that Jesus is going to actually rule and reign here for a thousand years. And they would not come around. If you're not going to come around, go to a church that does teach what you believe. Now, we can talk about the scriptures. We can divide it up. But, you know, even, it's funny, over the years when I've talked to people about scripture, they don't relent They will hold on to their views even though you can spell it out for them. Say, this is what it means and here's the original language and this is how the syntax is laid out and this is what was meant to the people at the time it was written. And they go, hmm, y'all have to consider that. Thanks, bye. And they take off and they don't even look at the scripture and let that be the arbiter. Instead, they want to be disunified. They don't want to have unity. And we're supposed to be unified. Look what Pharaoh is doing to the people. Not only is it causing them serious harm, even to the point of losing their life, but it's causing serious grief to the leadership which God called. And what's the leadership supposed to do? God, what am I supposed to do? And these people are yelling, you cursed thing! And and what is the person supposed to do in leadership? What benefit is it to the person not to be unified with those who are in positions of authority? And there's a lot of people in the church like that. But we can just sit there and disagree just because I'm gonna. And I'm just gonna throw my little tantrum. And that's what we do. I'm, hey, I'm not talking like you throw your little tantrum. I throw tantrums too. 
you know, I'm just like you guys. I hear your tantrums and you go off and then I go and have my tantrum and Patty goes, you know, I go, all right, I get it. I understand. Love them. Don't beat them. Love them. And, and you, you have to love the sheep no matter what. And that's what Christ did. He is our example. So this idea of unity, it needs to be paramount. But at the same time, when Christ shows up and he gives us his word, you think he did that to unify the world with the church? <laughs> no, he didn't. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So there is built in into your Christian walk this division that is there. But those who walk the same in Christ are to be unified. So the division is not supposed to be in the church. It's supposed to be with the world. The world will hate us, those who believe in Christ. But those who are inside the church were not to hate each other. Because after all, what does the Bible say if you hate your brother? It says you are not saved. If you hate your brother, the love of God is not in you. If the love of God is not in you, you are not saved. First John chapter 5. It's there repeatedly. And so we're supposed to love those inside the body. But they cause me so much harm and consternation. I know. Welcome to the family of God. It's so great to have everybody together. And, and God goes, this is good. Look, it's iron sharpening iron. Yeah, there's sparks, but they're going to be unified in the faith. And when we get to heaven, we're all going to say, ah, that was so not worth it to be so upset over that stuff. Look where we are now. I know. What were we upset about? I don't know, but it's so great to be here now. And that's the way it's going to end up. We spend so much time, we build up these mountains out of molehills and say, say what you did to me. And you don't have to do that. You can turn to the Lord and go, okay, Lord, this is a hard one. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to kind of wait. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to see how you handle this. Some great encouragement there. And that's what Moses did. Now, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. What's going on? It's not like I thought it would be. It's supposed to be better than this. How, why are you delaying? Now, we don't know why God delays, right? He, it's a mystery to us why he does. He could just change everything around but he wants us to be perfected and we can't be perfected without the trials that are there now moses is doubting god he had no way to see how god was going to change the future but god had already told him the end game he was assured that pharaoh would let the people go in exodus chapter 3 verse 19 he was already told but i know that the king of egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him so i will stretch out my hand and strike the egyptians with all the wonders that i will perform among them after that he will let them go so god already told him he will let them go but he had to be striking the nation of egypt with these plagues that we will end up seeing so the the application of this is satan like pharaoh will always oppose persecute and punish you go to the world that's what satan 
That's what the world is going to do. Satan, like Pharaoh, will always oppose, persecute, and punish. Also, in the mind, excuse me, in the midst of your obedience, there will be hardship. That's just a given. In the midst of your obedience, there will be hardship. Anyone who tells you, if you just come to Christ, your life will be wonderful. Certainly the next life will be wonderful. But not necessarily this life. You will have that unending joy, that deep abiding peace which is there. But on the outside, there's going to be hardship. Thirdly, do not divide but unify. The people against Moses and Pharaoh against the people. I want to tell you something. We have an event coming up in just a couple of weeks. It is just ripe for disunity. When we get there and we start setting this up, some people may have a little short fuse. There's so much to do and we have so little time. Where are the people? They're not even here. It's 11 o'clock and we're supposed to be setting up. And somebody's hair is on fire. They're running around, you know. <laughs> and you show up and you go, hey, I'm here. And they all look at you, you know, with these eyes. And why weren't you here earlier? And you're scrambling and the people are coming. And who's making the cotton candy and the cotton or the, the popcorn? It all has to be done. And the women, the, you see these, these stockings flying out of the box and people are grabbing them and putting them down and getting all the stuff to make. And you don't get a breather the whole night. And by the end of the night, I show up and I'm there and I go, let's work. And you go, you know, work. I've been here all day, you know, and it, <laughs> You can just see it's going to be ripe for that. But if you just go, Lord, this is hard. But you know what? Somebody's going to get saved out of this. And it's all going to be worth it. And so just prepare. When the enemy comes along and tries to cause division, just go, ha, ha, I laugh at you. And you just, you just go in the right direction and you do what the Lord wants you to do and things will be fine. Do not divide, but unify. That's what we need to do. And then... Keep your eye on the prize. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why was Moses doing what he was doing? We have heaven as our focal point. Remember that? I just talked about that with the youth. Pregnancy. They tell you to get a focal point. You guys remember that? You go through the Lamaze classes. I don't know what they do now. But you go into Lamaze classes and they go, get your focal point and do your he pants, you know? <laughs> Keep your eye on the price. Keep going forward and Jesus Christ will deliver you through all the midst of the trouble. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Or closing, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press towards a mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that's what we're supposed to do so whenever Paul was in trouble that's what he would do I have my eyes set on the prize I will remain unified if we have problems between us I'm going to rectify them I'm going to go to the person I'm not going to separate I'm going to communicate I'm going to make sure we are unified for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his body, and for the sake of the people that we are going to influence. After all, the house divided will not stand. Let that be the encouragement to you today. And we will see that Moses was getting to the point of despair in the midst of his ministry. And the people were getting more and more angry. And Pharaoh was pressing his thumb harder and harder. 
These are the lessons we wish to take away from here. Father, we ask for your blessing on your word as it continues to have its work in our hearts and as you continue to have your way with us. We would ask, Lord, that you would help us to remember these lessons. And we thank you for your servants who endured so many thousands of years ago and we're reading about it today. We know one day we'll see them and they will be of great encouragement to us. And we thank you for the encouragement in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.